0: Behind every good story is an interesting person. This is Person of Interest for Q102's Jeff Thomas.
1: Alright, so welcome to this edition of Person of Interest. Ryan Mooney Bullock, did I pronounce it right? You got it. Yeah, she's uh, she's a married mother of four... That's right. And if that doesn't keep her busy enough, she's also the executive director of the Green Umbrella. And I'm about to get an education. I saw it's green. I went home. I changed my shirt. I'm wearing a green shirt. I saw you were wearing a green jacket when you came in today.
0: That's right. We try to wear green as much as possible.
1: Tell us about the Green Umbrella and what exactly is the Green Umbrella what do you do?
0: Green Umbrella is Cincinnati's Regional Sustainability Alliance. So, we're all about making Cincinnati as green as possible and not just the city of Cincinnati, but the region as a whole.
1: Is this a nonprofit? Yep. Okay. Yep. We're a
0: nonprofit organization. We're actually a very small organization in terms of staff, but the way we work is we try to pull together everybody in the region who's focused on a particular issue and try to get them to collaborate and work together so they can make a real difference around that issue.
1: All industry. issues related to green. Exactly. And how exactly do you do that?
0: So we have what are called action teams. We have seven action teams. Each is focused on a different issue. And they're led by thought leaders and coordinators in those fields who invite folks across the region who are working on that issue to come together, have monthly meetings, and work together towards shared goals.
1: So give me an idea of some of the results that come from this effort.
0: Yeah, great question. So one of our action teams is the Green Space Action Team.
1: The Green Space Action Team. Exactly. All right.
0: They're focused on preserving green space in our region, so natural lands, to make sure that not everything gets paved or developed, that we still have a lot of um, what makes Cincinnati really unique is all of our green space. And so back in 2011, they set the goal of preserving an additional 8,000 acres of green space in our region. Well, they blew through that goal a couple of years ago and have now increased it significantly and are just working to continue to expand not only the amount of green space in the region but the quality of that green space they teach people how to remove invasive species from their properties or how they might be able to donate land that they have that they want to make sure stays as a natural area
1: it sounds like you're not getting i mean if you're that successful you could not have been getting a whole lot of resistance aside from the fact that you've got people that are doing their job well uh, have you found that people in the community embrace the efforts or have you been met with uh, a certain amount of resistance?
0: You know, it depends on the issue area. So, green space is one of our most successful teams and I think a lot of that has to do with the passion that people in our region feel about having a quality natural environment. You know, Cincinnati Parks has one of the largest park systems in the country. Mount Airy Forest is actually the largest public forest in the United States. No kidding. Yeah. So we have these really spectacular gems around the region. So that's one area where I think people feel a lot of pride around, you know, something that we have that's special here. Sure. Um, there are other areas that are less sexy, you know, for lack of a better word. So one of our action teams, the waste reduction action team, they are super successful in what they do, but they have a goal that is really hard. It's they're trying to actually reduce the amount of tons of waste going to our landfill by 33% by 2020 is a really bold goal when they set it. And since they set it, which was when we were in our economic downturn, we have since had an economic expansion. And when people are making more money, they buy more stuff and they throw more stuff away. So it's really hard to kind of help people see the kind of consumption habits they have and how that feeds into something like the amount of trash that goes into the landfill.
1: I was very lazy in my consumption habits Um, I've lived in apartment buildings that did not have green programs Mm -hmm. I was always sort of of this impatient attitude where it's like look if they're not going to make it easy for me then I'm not going to do it (laughs) and when I moved into this so uh, I live in Avondale now and Uh so I have have my own trash bin and I have my green trash bin and they're very clear about you know what goes in the green and I had the opportunity to tour the Rumpke recycle facility but since then it's my understanding and I'm sure you can set me straight on this, that most of what we've been able to recycle and send off to China to repurpose is now not being accepted in many of these places. And what are we doing with all of that? That's a
0: great question. So that was actually, you know, when the whole China recycling story broke a few months ago, there was kind of a temporary freeze on the market in terms of where, where's all this, especially plastic waste going to go that China is no longer taking. And the reason they didn't want to take it anymore is because the, the waste stream was so contaminated in the sense that there was so much stuff that was not recyclable by their processes mixed in with what they could actually use. So they basically said, well, if you're not going to sort it well enough, then we're not going to take it because it's costing us a ton of money to try to sort out the bad stuff from the good stuff. So there was kind of a temporary freeze and a, a real shift in the market for a little while. Um when that happened or when that announcement came through but the domestic markets have stabilized a little bit so that plastic waste is finding homes it is being purchased domestically it just took a little while for the, the to system to figure out to work exactly it out. how yeah. they
1: were going to make that happen let's talk about some of the trails and then eventually I'm going I, mean, I want to kind of circle back and get to know you because being a mother of four you're <laughs> you know you're balancing quite a bit yep. but this is something that I'm sure is important to families are the trails you've been creating
0: yeah Tri-State Trails is one of the initiatives of Green Umbrella, and so we have a staff member who's specifically dedicated to basically building partnerships around the region and helping municipalities and other nonprofits get trail projects going. Getting, the, getting um, passionate citizens to advocate for them, but also to help entities apply for these huge federal grants. And other funding opportunities that allow them to build trails because trails are very expensive. I I know
1: who knew that it was that expensive. So you can't just like you know create a pathway through the woods, right? Uh, You got to find places that I I guess are regularly maintained and safe.
0: And we're mostly talking about um, biking, walking trails, so they're typically paved. So this is not like hiking trails through the woods. It's more something that you could ride a bike on.
1: Okay. Um.
0: And so we have um. I I guess I should say that trails are a lot less expensive to build than roads, but there's still a lot more than I think the typical person would imagine.
1: And is there some conversion involved there because some of these trails are former railroad tracks?
0: Yeah, so we have had great success with converting railways to trails just because they're already, you know, kind of a set-aside right-of-way that is often flat and kind of just needs to be regraded and paved. Um, So the Wasson Way Trail actually just had its opening of its first section of trail kind of behind um withrow and rookwood
1: and so and that was i mean i've been around long enough i haven't lived here my whole life but i've been around long enough to remember when that was a, a railroad track that was being used yeah, by actual me too. freight trains <laughs> yeah. and i'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you a question you may not know the answer to but it does seem like so many railroad tracks, there, there seems to be less rail traffic. I don't know if that is a real world circumstance throughout the United States, but at least here locally, yeah. we're seeing more and more of these railroad tracks that were at one time being used and converted to trails. And do we know why that is? I do not. No, but, <laughs> that's a it's, great but it presents an opportunity yeah. for you. Yes. And I would imagine that's even more expensive to convert.
0: Right. You definitely have to remove the tracks. That's the first step. But one thing that's very convenient about using former rail lines is that there is already kind of this uh, clearing, clearing that is segregated from the road. So we put bike lanes in wherever possible. And that's something that we're really encouraging more municipalities to look at, especially as they're repaving or restriping roads anyways, add a bike lane if you have enough space. Um, But a lot of people feel a little safer on a bike trail if they don't have a lot of experience riding on the road or if they're riding with their kids and they want to have a place where, they don't need to worry about um, a large vehicle and their small child.
1: Have you noticed that the environmental concerns seem to be different in more rural areas versus more urban areas?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think it's a great question. And I feel like people across our region, no matter where they live, are going to be concerned about things like the quality of their water and the quality of their air. And, you know, if they have a nice place to go and spend time outside transportation maybe is an example of something where there would be a difference in opportunities or interests kind of from the urban suburban and rural perspectives. Cincinnati right now is I would say facing some challenges in the transportation world. Metro, our regional bus system is underfunded and is having a hard time figuring out where to get funding that would help them to improve their service. It's kind of this catch 22, right? Like they, um, don't have enough money to run buses as frequently as they would like, or on as many routes as they were like. So then it becomes less useful to the people who want to use those buses. So maybe then people are moving from riding the bus to buying a car. Um, So it's a tricky situation. They kind of need to get to a point where there's enough riders that they can provide service for them. But, How do they get there if they don't have enough service?
1: Well, and it's always been my perception. I don't know if this is necessarily the reality, but it's been my perception that there is this strange resistance to – uh, allowing more bike traffic on roadways. Mm. You know, I mean, even that Central Parkway bike path, which for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes seemed to take an act of Congress to make that happen. And even when it did, people were confused and <laughs> trying to undo it. And yep. uh, the last trip I took to uh, Amsterdam, uh, just just driving through oh, Holland, it's, just, it's built into their transportation infrastructure it's the way
0: of life and it's the
1: easiest thing it's not a problem and why we have such a hard time wrapping our brain around how we can coexist we can do both (laughs) yet we put so much money into expanding roads as if that's going to solve the problem
0: exactly and i think you nailed it you know we have a very car centric mindset in the u.s and that really started with the advent of you know the interstate highway system in the 40s and 50s it's not that long ago that we really made this huge shift. And unfortunately, a lot of it was driven by car companies, right? Like they realized, oh, if we can get rid of that trolley system, all of a sudden we've got a huge demand. And so there was unfortunately kind of a systemic attack on public transportation across the country. You know, Cincinnati had these amazing electric trolley cars that ran all over the city. You know, we had a funicular that, carried people from the base of the hills to the top of the hills so they didn't have to, you know, circuitously wind their way around. Right. And as we moved away from that infrastructure and invested in infrastructure for vehicles, um, we kind of closed off a lot of our options, unfortunately.
1: I'm originally from the Boston area, Mm -hmm. and I think it is one of the best and most efficient public transportation systems in the world because, you know, it's multi-pronged. Not only do you have... Mm -hmm. Uh, an incredible bus system, but it works in conjunction with uh, the subway system, which uh, has connections to the commuter rail system. And yeah. there's really no place within the greater Boston area and points beyond well into the suburbs yeah. that you can't travel from point A to point B easily and efficiently and cheaply. Right. But I understand I own a car. I love <laughs> to drive. I love road trips. Yeah. But I also love getting somewhere quickly. And especially in cities, as we gain more traffic here in the greater Cincinnati area, you know, there's going to come a point where it is more efficient. I would think it would be more efficient to invest in our public transportation infrastructure so that it's more available to more people and they can get to more destinations. And the family in Mason that wants to go to a Reds game but doesn't want to take their car can get from Mason to Great American Ballpark efficiently, cheaply, and easily.
0: Yeah, and one of the challenges is if our only transit option is on the roads with the vehicles that are increasing, then transit doesn't necessarily become faster. But when you add in rail or, you know, there's uh, bus rapid transit options where the buses kind of have a designated roadway or, or lane, lane yeah. then transit starts becoming faster. And so, you know, I lived in Chicago for many years and it was easier to take the train and the bus oh than it goodness. was to drive because parking is so expensive. Traffic is so bad. But until you kind of make transit the easier option, it's hard to incentivize people.
1: Can I tell you, I learned a lesson when I went to Chicago. I flew into O'Hare <laughs> and I wasn't traveling heavy. You know, I, it's not like I had a whole lot of luggage. It's not like I couldn't do this. <laughs> I knew that I could take the CTA from the airport yep. into the city, but I, I didn't really know where it was. And I didn't <laughs> know how. And I was irritated that my flight was delayed and I was feeling kind of, I was feeling like a diva. And so I got a Lyft Lux oh. that picked me up and it was nice and it was air conditioned and I could spread out in the back seat. We sat in traffic for an hour and a half <laughs> and the whole time we're sitting in traffic, train after train after train from the airport into downtown, are just whizzing past uh-huh. me.
0: And I thought that was a great design element of their system because there's a number of highways that have trains going through the middle of them. And so you're sitting there in traffic and you're like, if only I was on the train, look how many have gone
1: by. Oh, I felt so stupid (laughs) sitting in... (laughs) You know, and I'm trying to at least make totally. use of the time on my computer doing something constructive. But since the green umbrella is uh, connected to so many different environmental efforts, what do you think is the most important effort here? Oh,
0: right I don't know. I might make some people mad if I uh, said that theirs was not the most important. Yeah, They're all so significant. Tough spot to be in. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of um, a lot of momentum around a couple of areas right now local food is one that has gotten a lot of traction um so i think we've seen over the across the country but in cincinnati in particular just this explosion in interest in food in general and kind of where ingredients are coming from so you see more and more restaurants who are bragging about where they get their food from so you walk in and you might see a board that says you know Today, our chicken is from, you know, this local farm and our milk is coming from here and our, our vegetables are coming from I always from wondered here. if that
1: was for real. Is that really for real? Or like for real.
0: <laughs> 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 And it's something that people are, are really getting excited about. More people are growing backyard gardens or participating in community gardens. And our local food action team is really focused on increasing the places at which you can get local food, whether it's your community garden or a restaurant or a grocery store or a farmer's market. uh, And they really want to see an increase in consumption of that food. So more and more people shopping and spending more of their dollars on local food. They have a what's called a 10 percent shift campaign right now, trying to get people to pledge to shift 10 percent of their monthly food budget to buying local. So if you have a $300 monthly food budget, that's just 30 bucks that you're spending locally. If only 10% of our region shifted 10% of their budget, that would result in $56 million investing in our local food economy each year. So it's a huge difference if it's something that just kind of becomes a part of people's mindset when they're shopping.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a break right here. But when we come back with Ryan Mooney-Bullock of The Green Umbrella, we're going to learn how, as a mom of four kids, how tough it really is to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk and live green. Plus, what we can do right now, easy things that we can do right now to help keep our planet safe and clean. As Person of Interest continues next.
0: We'll be back. With more Person of Interest in a moment. And now, Person of Interest with Q&O 2's Jeff Thomas continues.
1: All right, welcome back. Our guest today, Ryan Mooney-Bullock, married mother of four, who is also the executive director of the Green Umbrella here in Cincinnati. They've been around for 20 years now, and they're the leading environmental alliance in our region, kind of putting us on the map. Nationally in all of their green space and sustainability efforts, I gotta tell you overall Cincinnati has set a pretty bold environmental goal for itself. And I would think, you know, when you go shopping, you're a mom of four kids. How how tough is it to not just not just live green, but to think green and shop green, uh huh. Eat green. Yeah,
0: you know, it's something that I've been doing for a long time. So I've been kind of an a passionate environmentalist ever since I was a kid, really. Um, what got and, you
1: interested in
0: you environmentalism? Know, I have to say my best friend um, growing up, I spent, you know, half my life at her house and they were just very conscientious about things like, you know, what's their thermostat set at? So are we saving energy? Are we, you know, just wasting energy um, thinking about things like composting. She got me involved in a local uh, youth environmental group called One Earth, One People when I was a kid.
1: And were they one of those families where like, if it's mellow, or if it's yellow <laughs> let it mellow. If it's brown, I don't, flush it down.
0: I don't remember that about them but that's something we definitely do in our house. Is it really? Oh so, yeah. Yep. And part of the reason is because um, not just to conserve water, but in Cincinnati, our one of our biggest challenges related to water is combined sewer overflows. So we have a combined sewer system where rainwater and sewage from houses and buildings combine into the same pipes. So we're particularly in our household, if it's raining, that's our big time where we're trying not to send a bunch of water down into the Oh, sewer. no kidding. Yeah. Basically, the um, combined sewage, so that means whatever you're sending down the drain at your house, whether it's from the toilet or the dishwasher or the washing machine, is going into the same pipes that the storm water is just flooding into. And when those pipes reach a certain capacity, the wastewater treatment plant cannot handle all of that, and the water goes directly into the river.
1: So it starts mixing.
0: Yes. So we get literally raw sewage mixed with stormwater flowing directly into the Ohio River, the Mill Creek, other waterways around
1: there. I'm going to think about that every time I use a restroom during a rainstorm. There you you go. Wow.
0: And we do little things like, it doesn't always happen, but... Let's try not to run the dishwasher or do our laundry when it's raining. Let's wait until it's dry.
1: So when it came time for you to make a decision as to what you were going to study in college, what'd you end up doing?
0: So I, I went to college thinking that I was going to do pre-med and I was going to study languages. I was involved in some international camps when I was a kid. I was really excited about kind of thinking globally. Um, And then when I got to school, I realized, first of all, that my brain couldn't handle multiple languages at a time. I was studying Italian and Spanish and just ended up in like a jumbled mix of both, which was kind of hilarious to my teachers, I think. Um, And I started rethinking the pre-med, not because I didn't think being a doctor would be a great idea, but I think that when you go to college, you realize there's a lot more out there than you had thought, right? Like in high school, you only see a few different options, but when you're in college, learning about kind of the world in general it opens up the doors. So um, I decided to go into environmental studies and and really approached it from like a political and economic and historic perspective as well as the sciences
1: and of course you can't just you know talk the talk you gotta exactly walk the walk right
0: yeah so i you know has, has i that was that in chicago difficult? has
1: that been difficult for you adopting you know now you represent a certain mindset yep. uh does that come natural is that something that's easy for you or or do you even have <laughs>
0: of course i even have challenges sometimes you know it's po- it's impossible to be 100 percent sustainable 100 percent of the time and you know in in our culture here um, one of the things that's probably the hardest to get away from is uh just the the junk you bring into your house and into your life, right? Like it's so right. hard to go to the store and buy stuff that's not overly packaged. So, yeah. you know, ending up having to throw away a bunch of stuff that your food came in or that, you know, your shoes came in, whatever. Right. Um, we try to do as much like secondhand shopping as possible. Mm. And thankfully my kids are not Opposed to this yet. My oldest is eleven, but they're not, you know, super fashion focused. And we just all have a great time, like going to the thrift store and picking out fun things. And do they you know,
1: know why they're doing it? Like you explain if they're ever challenged how to respond to kids who make fun of them for getting <laughs> clothes at a secondhand store.
0: I haven't. I haven't yet. Have we I gone think... over the talking points yet with the kids? Yes. No. <laughs> it's a good idea. I we do talk about how um we buy secondhand because you know, so much ends up getting produced that is ends up getting thrown away, which basically that we kind of live in a little bit of a wasteful society. And there's so much great stuff out there that we can kind of give a second use. So we talk about it more that way, but I think you're right. We need to come up with a plan for the uh, defensive as they get a little older.
1: So you started to reference Chicago. (laughs) Oh
0: yeah. So I lived in Chicago when I was in college. So that's when I was learning a lot more about kind of all these environmental principles. And, you know, I biked or took the bus or the train everywhere. I ended up working for a um, sustainability-focused nonprofit in Chicago. And that's also really where I started thinking about, you know, being green doesn't mean you have to go live on an eco-farm. There's so much you can do in the city. And actually, cities are a more environmentally efficient place for people to live.
1: Isn't that interesting? It is. <laughs> yeah. You would think it would be the opposite.
0: I know. If everybody lived on their own five acres across the country, we'd be eating up way more land and the cost of transporting things would be even higher than it is. There's just a lot of efficiencies to living in the city. So I I started thinking about, you know, how are humans interacting with the natural environment, kind of with the environment that they've built, and what can I do to help them see where they could improve those relationships?
1: When you met your husband, were you thinking... You know, I need to be with someone who's like minded.
0: You know, that's a good question. I actually met my husband in high school, so oh, cool. we've we've known each other for a long time. We kind of were around each other as we were developing a lot of these philosophies. And he grew up in the country, and he had a, he came from like a very um, thrifty is not the right word, but you know, just like resource intentional sure. mindset. His parents were hippies, and so it we definitely had some uh, some commonalities in that regard. But we, have, we share a lot of values. I am definitely the one who is like, we don't need to buy that. You'd yeah. be more excited about just buying random junk for the kids. You know, the random junk that they want to bring in all the time. Sure. I'm like, we don't, we don't need that extra thing in our house. But I think we've learned a lot from each other over the years and balance each other out.
1: How do you choose? I, I mean, I, I'm thinking of all these little things and they, forgive me if these seem like silly questions. I don't mean them to be, but <laughs> you're having to make a decision about where you're going to live, are you thinking location? Are you thinking the way the house is designed Hmm. or built or?
0: Yeah. It's a great question because we live right now in Northside, which is a very uh, walkable neighborhood. That's one of the reasons we picked it. Um, It felt the most like a Chicago neighborhood to us in the sense that we could, there's a lot of great architecture and we could walk to the library and not a grocery store, sadly, but restaurants and Other fun things like that, art centers. And it is one of the most, has one of the most uh, frequently running bus lines in the city. We haven't used that as much as we would like, but we do try to kind of think local and stay close to home whenever possible. Um, We are getting ready to move though. So that has been something we've been thinking about. You know, do we, is it a bad idea to kind of get away from this walkable community, even though we're ready for a little more space?
1: You're outgrowing the home that you're living in? Oh, yes. the size. size. So you yes. need a little more space. Yeah. You need a little more elbow room. Yep. And so you're not looking at any one particular neighborhood necessarily. Well, we
0: actually just bought a house. So we're in the process of getting ready to move.
1: Can I ask? You don't have to tell me where it is if you're not ready. <laughs> but can yeah, you yeah. tell me, like, what were the main factors in your decision for where you decided to live? Yeah.
0: We wanted to stay in the city of Cincinnati because our kids are in Cincinnati public schools. And yeah. that was really important to us. We also... Um, this is another one of those things where my environmental philosophy was playing a role. The city of Cincinnati has been really um, an advocate for sustainability and has the Green Cincinnati Plan. Um, so I really wanted to support the work they're doing from a voting perspective, right? Like, I want to support that infrastructure and and all the work that's going into that Um but we did want a little more space. We wanted to have a yard, hopefully some trees that would provide the kids a place to just get out and explore. Like spending time in nature is a really important thing for us. Right. And we do that now. And even though we don't have much space, we go to Mount Airy or Spring Grove Cemetery or, you know, different parks. But having that out the back door was really appealing. Sure. Um, we wanted a house that was going to be relatively energy efficient, but not necessarily like a green build. Just because that seemed a little more yeah. out of our price range, but oh, I think we found the perfect spot.
1: I will say that you know one of the things that I love about Cincinnati are the opportunities for people to move back to the city um, yeah. in the form of tax abatements. Um, I know that when I purchased the home that I'm living in now, it's interesting. I was excited that it was silver lead certified. It didn't even though I didn't really know what that <laughs> meant. I knew that it was good for the environment, but I wasn't really yeah. sure. I don't know that I still am, but I know that it extended my tax abatement <laughs> yeah. to 15 years as yeah. opposed to 12 years.
0: And you're going to save a lot of money on utility bills. That's, I think, what makes the most difference to people.
1: So when something is silver, so when something is yeah. lead certified, it mm-hmm. just means that the materials that were used in the construction of the home, or is it just the way it's insulated, or is it a combination? There's of a both?
0: bunch of different factors that yeah. go into it. So LEED stands for Leaders in Energy Efficient Design. And there's all these different criteria that a building has to meet in order to be LEED certified. So there's stuff related. It's predominantly energy related. So like the building envelope and the uh, windows being well insulated, but also the um, things like what's the furnace or the air conditioning system like all those things play a
1: factor. What is a, uh, what's a pet peeve that most people do in society with respect to environmental factors? You know, I, Heard recently that straws are uh, yeah now uh, so popular. Plastic straws are the <laughs> yeah. are the big thing.
0: I, yeah, I mean, I have to say that the amount of plastic waste that we generate is definitely a pet peeve. Everything comes in plastic now, right? And I get that it's like the miracle substance, right? When plastic was discovered, and we've had all these innovations around how it can be molded and shaped. Sure, it's so useful, but it's made from petroleum and it doesn't break down. And I feel like. We're just creating these huge mountains of plastic. Which would
1: not be a horrible thing if we were to repurpose and recycle, right? We can recycle most plastics, some plastics, a few plastics. And this
0: is one of kind of the misperceptions in the kind of curbside recycling that most of our region uses, um, which goes through the Rumpke mixed recycling Recycling facility. facility. The only types of plastic they can take are bottles or jugs. So if it has a narrow mouth yeah. and then a wider body, and that's just because of the way that the plastics are manufactured and recycled. So their system cannot currently accept any other kind of plastic. So when that stuff gets into their system, it kind of gums up the works. So mm. that's one problem. It creates inefficiencies. But then because there's not an easy way to recycle those you know, yogurt cartons and all the other things that we generate clamshells on a daily basis, it just ends up getting landfilled you can take it to places like whole foods which accept this other type of plastic waste but you know what are there three or four whole foods in our region and most people don't want to just like stockpile their plastic and drive it somewhere
1: if you want to make an impact if you want to make a difference what can people tangible things that people can do right now to help keep our planet safe and clean easy steps beginner steps. Great,
0: great go to a farmer's market and support a local farmer. It might not seem like that's helping the environment directly, but you're reducing the transportation related to moving food around. Most local farmers are operating much more sustainably than kind of the big farms um, that are responsible for producing most of our food. Another thing that you can do is plant a tree. I know the Arbor Day Foundation would be happy to hear me say that, but trees not only taking carbon dioxide, so they're cleaning the air, but they're also a great solution for stormwater control. So we have, Mm. as I mentioned, all this stormwater sheeting off our land all the time, especially with our roofs and paved surfaces. And trees are really like the number one tool for absorbing that water. Um, There's actually a great website called treesandstormwater.org that was developed locally that describes kind of what the ideal trees are for planting. Trees
1: intercept rainfall and help increase infiltration, the ability of soil to store water.
0: And they look nice, right? They improve your property value. They do. You know, I think thinking about what you buy is another simple thing that people can do. So whether that's deciding to purchase something that has less packaging, like if you're buying broccoli at the grocery store, getting it just loose as a head, instead of you know cut up and plastic and in, in contained in a plastic box. Oh, you know, I see. Would, for example, yeah. be something you could do.
1: And it seems like everybody wants to buy things online now. Mm-hmm. When they buy stuff, they buy things online, yep. which creates more packaging. And yes. some companies are better than others in terms of how they package things yep. they ship.
0: Yes, it is definitely a little bit of a nightmare being generated <laughs> from the the shipping business. And yeah. I get that it's convenient. I buy things online too. But, you know, thinking about where you can be a little bit more efficient in your resource consumption. I think those are my top ones that in terms of what people can do on a daily basis.
1: Well, people want to learn more about the Green Umbrella.
0: Yeah, you can check out greenumbrella.org. We also have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. And one thing I do want to mention, I'm sorry, I should add into our list there is, you know, getting your kids outside, I feel like is a great thing that's going to have long term payoffs, not only for their personal health and, and well-being, but. I think that was one of the reasons that uh, I got interested in environmental issues because my family spent a ton of time outside. You know, We would go camping occasionally or go check out local streams and play and just kind of having that sense of curiosity and wonder about the natural world and how I could play a small part in keeping it nice.
1: Is there a way to get more trash cans <laughs> in certain neighborhoods? Because I'll yeah. tell you what, you know, I live in a neighborhood where there really aren't any um, unless they're around public buildings, yeah. but I live in a residential neighborhood that, well, it's kind of on the board, you know, I live in uh, part of Avondale that sort of borders on the northern end of the Children's Hospital yeah. campus. But we get a lot of traffic through there mm-hmm. from people who come from all over and, you know, there's a handful of people that it doesn't take much to create a mess on the roadways. and. Yeah. I am literally out there every day with my little, it's called a litter Uh getter, and I am (laughs) picking up stuff around the, yeah, because, and a lot of it sort of like blows down the street. I was talking to Ozzy Davis not that long ago, and uh, he said, you know, getting people to come around to the mentality that, look, this isn't just my neighborhood, but, you know, we need places where people can put this stuff. Yes,
0: right. There's not a place to put it, which is part of the problem. I know there are occasionally kind of campaigns to get neighborhoods to install more receptacles, but I'm not sure what the current place to look for for that is. I think maybe the city or the county might have resources. But there's also a lot of great organizations like Keep Cincinnati Beautiful who host these neighborhood-wide cleanups periodically. And that's a great way to get involved. And, you know, it's a simple thing to do. You go out for an hour or two and pick up some trash. And, you know, you can show your kids that it's easy to give back and, you know, help be responsible for their neighborhood
1: she's uh she's a mom of she's a married mom of four <laughs> she's the executive director of the green umbrella and uh she's trying to walk the walk you know that's right in, in, in her every day and that's not an easy day and trying to change the hearts and minds of those who were it's like it's not a speedboat you know?
0: <laughs> that is so true it's like, we're it's, out there it's, in it's our like kayak make a u-turn
1: in an ocean liner uh, you know yep. yep. it and, takes time you
0: know fortunately cincinnati has a lot of. Um, passionate not only individual citizens but corporate citizens too so we have a lot of businesses here who have a strong commitment to sustainability and um are already leaders or have the potential to be leaders in this space so i'm excited and if
1: they want to get involved they can contact you as well of the course yep. ryan mooney bullock it was great having you thanks for coming on thanks. person of interest great meeting so much, you jeff Person of Interest is produced by Natalie Jones. If you found Ryan as interesting as we did, send us an email to POI which stands for Person of Interest. POI at WKRQ.com. We always welcome your thoughts. Uh, Feel free to make a suggestion for a future Person of Interest. We're going to keep on producing these episodes as long as you continue to listen, so make sure you check back with us. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time... For Person of Interest, I'm Jeff Thomas. Thanks for listening.
0: These are the people behind the stories that matter to you. Thanks for listening to q and O 2's Person of Interest with Jeff Thomas.